0: Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for divine service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. So maybe it's worth uh, going back a little bit. So let's start with prayer first. Uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, revealed your steadfast mercy uh, to us by way of the way you cared for Daniel and his three friends. We ask that uh, you would comfort us with that knowledge, knowing that uh, you have come to redeem us and to save us, even despite us. And for all this, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so since we took a week, uh, it's probably worth recapping a little bit. Plus, I have uh, a new resource, new to me anyway, uh, the commentary from Concordia about Daniel, nice and thick, from Dr. Andrew Steinman. Do you know Andrew Steinman? Anybody know him? He's at Concordia no? now. Um, he was uh, the dean of students at the Fort Wayne Seminary before that. And before that, he was the uh, on the theology faculty at Concordia Chicago, which means, actually, either he followed me or I followed him. I, I think he was ahead of me because I was at Concordia Chicago when he was there as a professor. I was at the seminary when he was the dean of students. And now I'm here and he's down the street. So uh, regardless, uh, actually, brilliant man. So, just to recap what we studied in verse chapter one, for those of you um, who weren't here, uh, or if you didn't have a chance to listen, I did put the recording on our podcast for the church site. Yes, yeah, so you can go and listen back and listen to it. Um, I'm going to actually just read to you his summary of Daniel one, and then that that'll give us some context to look at chapter two. Uh, the first chapter of Daniel serves as an introduction to the rest of the narrative portions of Daniel. So that's chapters one through six are like the stories. And then seven through 12 is the the visions, all right? Uh, In chapter one, we're introduced to the Babylonian exile and Daniel's experience of it. We meet Nebuchadnezzar, the king who will dominate the narrative for the next four chapters. We're told of the vessels from the temple in Jerusalem and how they were taken captive. Uh, That will come back in Daniel chapter five. We are introduced to Daniel's companions, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. They'll come back in chapter two, and they'll be the focus of attention in chapter three. So remember, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael were—that's their Hebrew names—and then they're given, yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, their Hebrew names. Just to recap this, uh, Azariah, Yah at the end is short for Yahweh. No. God's name, so that they're named after the one true God. Hananiah, there we go again. Again, Yahweh. And then Mishael, El is another name for God. Alright? So they all have Hebrew names that are related to um, the Hebrew name for God. One of the Hebrew names for God. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are distortions of Babylonian gods. So the Babylonians named them after their gods, you see? So then there's a they have two names, either the true God or the false gods of Babylon, and they're put at odds. Although I think this is a great hypothesis that Dr. Steinman gives. I think he's right that when Daniel records the, the um, Babylonian names that they're given, he distorts them a little bit. So you can't quite tell uh, which God they're named after. Anyway, chapter opens with the capture of, Jer- of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C., when he took the articles from the temple and the first exiles from the young Judean nobility. He brought both the articles and the first exiles to Babylon uh, to be used as he saw fit. However, some of the young Judeans resolved to resist attempts to acculturate them to Babylonian ways and the tension is resolved through the intervention of God on behalf of the faithful Judean young men. Remember, the conflict was over the, the food and the, the drink, right? You know, could you eat... Uh, well really what it was is could you eat meat sacrificed to idols because that's l- probably where their meat was coming from and then um, the drink the Hebrews were allowed to drink wine of course, <laughs> as you know um, but there may have been other it may have been used in ritual you know sacrifice and I, I think probably what was going on is that rather than get really nitpicky about the details like we can eat this meat but not that meat and try to explain that to the Babylonians instead, Daniel goes hard and just says, just give us vegetables and water. We'll just make it easy here, rather than have to get all caught up in the nuances all right, of Leviticus chapter... We, I think we looked at it. Was it chapter 12? We talked about the cloven hooves and all of that? Yeah. All right. Um, thus, we are introduced not only to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, and others, but we are introduced to the gracious God of Israel and his saving work. All right. Moreover, the introductions to people and things, important as they are for the narratives of Daniel, are less important than the introduction to themes that will dominate the entire book of Daniel. So that's the reason why we want to recap chapter one, because these same things keep coming up that are set up in chapter one. The first of these themes is that God is in control over all the things that happen among humans. All right. And we're going to see that in a lot of different ways in the first six chapters. This is signaled throughout the chapter and reemphasized in every subsequent chapter. And it's clearly the focus of Daniel's visions in chapters 7 through 12. So God is control of all things that happen among humans. I think we actually argued a little bit about that. Does that sound right? Or maybe it was in another context where there was an argument, yeah, at St. John maybe, um, where is God really control of like, say, presidential elections? (laughs) And there was a little, I remember having an argument a couple, in some context, I guess maybe it wasn't here, but how could God allow a certain man to be elected president, for example? Well, the story of Daniel is that he actually brought Nebuchadnezzar to power, this pagan king, you know, who doesn't believe in God. Hmm. Maybe something to learn there. The readers cannot escape the conclusion from Daniel that God governs all of history for the benefit of his people. Of course, ultimately, the point of all this guidance of history is redemption. So, and then quote Galatians 4: When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right? So, the reason why God is in control of all history is for the sake of salvation in Jesus Christ. All right? And that, I mean, it'd probably be a fun thing to do someday is to do like a, su- a survey of the Old Testament rather than study all the books in detail, try to show how all of history is being woven together to bring about your salvation. I'll just make that assertion and you know, as you study the Old Testament, see if you see that play out. All right. Second, second big theme is that we're introduced to one of the central concerns of faithful Judeans throughout the Babylonian captivity. And and this is the one we talked about at length last time. How does a believer deal with living in a pagan culture? So how do you live in a world where everything around you is false belief? And and the interactions that then you have to have with friends, neighbors, family members, sometimes kings, you know, governments. Daniel and his companions have to answer this question from the start. And chapter 1 demonstrates that they are de- were determined to remain faithful to God despite the pagan context in which they were forced to live. All right? Um, so I think we talked about, like, the church's relationship to the culture around us. Did we talk about that? And, and different church bodies and different congregations have addressed this in different ways. You probably can think of congregations that basically act and behave like everything around them. And, and if you were hard, you would be hard-pressed to actually find Jesus in, in the things that they say and do, all right? Maybe some in our own community. I, don't, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head that doesn't at least give some nod to the fact that they're, they have faith in Christ, right? But then they assimilate everything around them thinking it's all neutral. Is it really? That's the question. And we'll, we'll keep teasing that out as we study Daniel. The third theme, which is related to the second one, is the question about how the believer deals with authorities in the context of a pagan culture. So what do you do when your government either prohibits um, or promotes false worship, prohibits true worship or promotes false worship, right? And that's especially true today in chapter two with with the statue, right? Or the vision of the statue, I should say. The other statue, that comes later. Before the captivity, the people of Israel... Could assume that the covenant that Yahweh made with His people was at least officially tolerated by Israelite authorities. All right, so you, you were able to live free to practice your faith, right, in, in, in the promise uh, given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What happens when that changes? When your government no longer allows you to believe what you believe? All right. Now that's relevant to us, right? We talked about that with like tax exemption. Talked about that with hate speech laws, right? Okay. Um, however, in Babylonian society, there was no understanding of the unique features of Israel's religious practices and beliefs, especially of the belief that there is only one true, only one God. All right. In this chapter, chapter one, we learn that Daniel and his companions find a way to practice their faith despite the orders of the king. Yet they do not break the fourth commandment, which mandates respect for human authority, even pagan, false-believing human authority, by the way. (laughs) Read Romans 13. But they work through the various levels of authority in Babylon, enabling them to keep both the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and the fourth commandment, to honor your father and your mother and, as Luther reminds us, other authorities. By their behavior, they acknowledged what Paul would later write. Oh, there's Romans 13. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been established by God. For your good, even if it doesn't seem so at the time. (laughs) All right? So you can imagine, you know, right now we have Mr. Trump, and then maybe we have Mr. Sanders. And he's like, okay, I won't give any political opinion about that, but talk about polar opposites, right? I was like, how can any of that be for our good? Good question. And then one more theme. We're introduced to a theme that runs through the whole book. God gives gives gifts to his people so that they can serve him. So we're going to see that in chapter two. He gives very specific gifts to Daniel for the benefit both of his faith so that he may worship God and also for the love of his neighbor, even the pagan king. So God blesses Daniel with gifts um, to, to serve. That's frequently and explicitly highlighted in the narrative portions, so chapters 1 through 6, and then is the underlying assumption of all the visions in chapters 7 through 12. Daniel and all faithful Judeans survive and even prosper in captivity because God blesses them with the gifts that he abundantly showers on his people. All right? So I know that's a long introduction, but again, those three major themes. One, um, the first one was that God is in control of all human events. Uh, for your benefit second that how do you how do you deal with living in a pagan culture three how do you deal with relating to a pagan uh, leader and then four look for the gifts that God provides to his people so that they may live in a pagan culture and deal with a pagan king right and be faithful to him good so far yeah run
1: Part of God's plan, He was actually punishing children really of Israel because their idolatry and disobedience and humility. Yeah. And it just goes to show that there's a bigger picture than just
0: the story that you read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and when you talk about Daniel being taken to a foreign country, same thing happened with Joseph in the Old
0: Testament. Right. There's many parallels to Joseph. Yeah, uh, the parallels to Joseph are pretty significant, right? Because he's he's brought into the service of a pagan king, the Pharaoh, right? Um, he's given a great authority under Pharaoh, and he's all and that comes through the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of parallels in the way that. Um, God delivers Israel through Joseph. What, God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's Joseph, Joseph's repeated um, absolution, forgiveness that he gives to his brothers. You know, good news to them. They thought they had committed great evil that God couldn't possibly forgive. And over and over, he tries to show them. They don't even believe it, even up to Joseph's death. They're ref- they, they really struggling with this idea that their hatred and murder of him actually God used for their own blessing. Right, to preserve a great nation. Um, and you see the same thing with Daniel. Although Daniel doesn't seem to have... Well, there's no brothers involved. Well, there's the friends. But they, Daniel seems utterly confident through the whole thing, through the whole book. You'll see this. He doesn't really seem to despair of being in exile. But if you compare the way that Daniel talks in, in his narrative, which I think he wrote after his... Um, court service ended, all right, so that's under the, uh, Cyrus, so that's towards the end. Um, Cyrus, the king of Persia, because Persia conquers Babylon, um, that Daniel serves in the court probably for 70 years, if you do the math and the dates and the people he refers to, probably from about age 14 to age 86, and then he retires, <laughs> retires at a ripe young age. Um, by this point, no, people aren't living that long, long, not like they were in, in ancient times. Um, so he retires and then he writes his story. And I think he writes it as a book of comfort um, to those, or, or not just comfort, but encouragement to those who are coming back from exile to see, look, God, God had, had us in his hand the whole time. There was no problem. Um, that's in contrast to those who were prophesying at the time of Daniel. Think like Jeremiah, think Ezekiel, was in, in exile. And Ezekiel does not sound that optimistic. <laughs> I mean, he does, he does, his hope is like entirely in the resurrection of the body. That's, you know, the life everlasting. It's not so much in God delivering his people then. So, there is a way, when people are suffering, you have to be careful about this. I do too. I'm, I'm not always guarded on this regard. Is that when somebody's in the midst of suffering, like, you lost your mom not that long ago. The, the absolute worst thing you can say to somebody in that moment, not the absolute worst, but one of the worst things is you'll get over it. It'll get better. It's like, well, maybe, but actually, no, you're grieving. And that grief actually is given to you by God. Um, you know, that pain and that loss is real. It's not, it's not something that you get over. Maybe it's something that the Lord comforts you through. And, and so, you know, this is the problem of somebody who's maybe lost a parent, and then it's been, they've had, the, they've had five or 10 years and to hear God's word of forgiveness and comfort and promise over and over and over, and that their understanding or at least their trust in God has, cha- has, has changed a little bit over that time, at least the way they understand the events. But in the midst of it, to say you'll get over it is is to say your grieving is wrong or it's not, you know, not it's not necessary. And that that is not the story of the Bible, is that in the midst of suffering, that suffering is real. And, and I'm not saying you embrace it, but you... You recognize it's true. It's not false. And like Ron said, God actually made his people suffer uh, for their sake, for their benefit, so that they would recognize their error, their sin, all right, and come to repentance.
1: You could almost say suffering
0: is a gift. I would say it is. Great- that also sounds terrible, though, <laughs> right? When you are suffering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is a gift. It'll be a blessing to you. And you're like, yeah, don't. Just don't, don't talk that way. Um, actually, learn the way the psalmist prays about grief and suffering that that would be um, like the the psalms of lament Psalm six would be a great place to start right and the way that that David laments or the way he laments at the death of his son um, is that you don't ignore the reality of that it doesn't mean that you can't have confidence in the promise right but that suffering is real and that loss is real and that um, it has like a purging effect I suppose but it it also has a way of it does strengthen faith, but even that isn't necessarily an encouraging word. Like you'll, this, not only will it get better, but you'll also be stronger. Like, really? You know? So, yeah, this is a, well, now we're talking about funerals, but um, you have to be careful about platitudes, moral platitudes. You know, mm-hmm. it, we, we like them to see, we think that they make things better, but they actually make things worse. Even the way that we refer to death as something other than death. So we'll call it like passing away or departing or going on a road trip or something. I don't know what people say. other than, Rather than embracing the fact that, no, there's been a death and, and death is real. Um, and actually, it's under God's command. So that means God brought about that death, right? Which means we actually have to deal with it rather than kind of skirt around it and act like it didn't actually happen, um, but to really refer to it directly. Anyway, Daniel doesn't seem to do that. Um, even though he's much more optimistic about about his life in um, exile than I think the prophets were, or even even if you read the same accounts in Kings, Second Kings, or is it Second Kings? Yeah, and Chronicles, Second Chronicles. So, which we're not doing. All right, let's look at chapter two. That's enough on chapter one. Oh, Ron's got more. There's always more.
1: James, two and three. Okay. You better count it all joy when you fall into various
0: trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Yeah. and that's a great thing to say to somebody who's not currently experiencing trials, right? That when when it happens, and it will, um, God will, will be there through that. He will be equipping you with gifts, you know, with friends, with, with His Word, you know, um, with the sacraments too, for that matter. To to actually have a prob- have a good response to to suffering. In the midst of suffering, I don't know if I'd read James Wong, you know, because <laughs> it's like, oh, this is going to get better. Well, yes, but let's lament now. Uh, it's the way that uh, Ecclesiastes says it, right? Or how did, what was the, the birds sang the song, it was written by Bob Dylan, right? Turn, turn, turn. You know that one? What was it? In every seat, for every season, there is, yeah. A yeah, so there is a season of grief. There's Think about the way they. Oh, sorry, you got me going. think about the way they, they grieve in the Old Testament or in the New Testament even. Jesus comes up to the widow at Nain and what, what are they doing? They're bringing the son out from town and who's surrounding her? The whole town. yeah, the whole town. And they would grieve for, for weeks. You're like serious? like like a widow or in this case a mother, she would she would wear her grieving clothes. she wouldn't like go change after the funeral. She'd wear those for weeks, right? And and really to properly grieve and rather than just kind of, like I said, just try to ignore it or get over it or move on, um, to to kind of sit in it for a bit. That's true because we've been so busy mm. organizing this, organizing that, go to see the lawyer, go here, go oh, here. yeah. Every day something's
2: going on and it's like, could I just have some quiet time?
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's well, nice, you have a chapel right over here. So. Yes. <laughs> and there's no phone in there, so... Leave your cell phone this at morning, home. I thought I would never get be because the phone kept ringing. Yeah. No, it is true. Uh, funeral. This is a great. Now you're making a great case for actually pre planning, not just your funeral, but everything that's possible. Okay. Yeah, but you still have lawyers and everything. I don't know. There's no way to avoid it. All right, let's actually read the Bible. Um, it is Bible class after all. So, chapter two, we're not going to be able to do the whole thing, but let's do. Let's read up through 13. Let's just read the first 13 verses to get going.
2: Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave his command to all the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your house shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, You shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you have gained time because you see my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matters. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them.
0: Ooh. Yeah, so things get a little bit more intense here, huh? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he's a live wire. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, he's a bomb waiting to go off. Um, By the way, 605 B.C., that's about when this is. I think the timeline works out pretty well. Um, he's just gotten back, basically, like within the last six months from basically going all the way from Babylon through north down into Judea into Egypt and then bringing the exiles back. Wow. So, I mean, talk about a, a, a military campaign and just, they just devastated. They went through, just conquered <laughs> all of that um, in no time. And just over like a span of a year, conquered all of that region. So it's a pretty impressive military campaign. But he does seem, it does seem to be, um, well, this is the thing that Daniel does. He, says he doesn't tell you everything. He just tells you what you need to know for the purpose of the story to keep going, right? So he's actually a little bit brief, he, he, but he likes to have that kind of energy in the narrative, it seems, when he's telling the story. Because he doesn't say what happened in the past, that Nebuchadnezzar would be so, what, skeptical? It's worse than skeptical about these magicians, the sorcerers, especially the Chaldeans, The Chaldeans would be, um, the Chaldeans are a specific, it'd be kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and then the scribes, right? So the Chaldeans would kind of be the equivalent, the the scribes. Um, They were the ones who could read read and study Akkadian. Did we talk about Akkadian as a language? Okay, Um, so maybe it's worth reminding you about, we did talk about languages in the book of Daniel, that it starts in Hebrew and then it switches to Aramaic. This is where it switches, all right? So it started in Hebrew, it'll end in Hebrew, but it's Aramaic right here. There's a third language at play, which is called Akkadian. And Akkadian doesn't work um, with an alphabet like ours, you know? Um, instead, it have, there's what's called cuneiforms. So it's like an image, and the image represents a syllable, okay? <laughs> and so there's, I don't remember how many, I, somebody who studied Akkadian can probably tell you, but there's... There's probably hundreds of symbols. And then the combination of that symbol is how you make the words. Not like A, B, C, but rather like... Oh, I don't know. Think of a word that we could that has three syllables. Parallel. Parallel. Yeah, so para maybe is one syllable. and Maybe that's only really... Maybe it's only two symbols. Para and then lel is something for like lines, right? And so you put that together. Chinese is this way too. Have you ever seen Chinese writing? Mm-hmm. So like the Chinese word for Noah... Is three words put together. <laughs> his name is boat, water, and I think earth is the other one. Hmm. Yeah. So his name is actually the pictures of kind of his life. All right. Anyway, there's cuneiform Akkadian, and so the Chaldeans are the guys that st- that know the ancient Akkadian because at this point that Aramaic is the language of Babylon, but right. but Akkadian is their like ancestral language. It would be like for us reading the ma- meeting minutes in German, right? are going to read our old German Bible or something, right? So there are some people around that can yet do that. Mm-hmm. Are there German? Very few. <laughs> very few. Yeah, very few. Yeah. Um, so he's been burned by these guys at some point. And he's kind of, it's, doesn't it doesn't sound like he's fed up. Yes. <laughs> like enough is enough already. If I'm going to tell you your dream, you're going to interpret it. And if you don't, I'm not going to just cut off your head. What's he going to do to him? <laughs> <the houses. laughs> <laughs> and even burn down their houses too. Wow, little intense. Um, Nebuchadnezzar yeah, yeah. oh by the way, even Nebuchadnezzar. remember I mentioned that Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo are distorted names. Nebuchadnezzar isn't his real name either yeah it's it's a it's an a Hebrew actually version. But he distorted it so you can't actually see. It was n- the last part, Nebuchadnezzar. I can't remember the gods that are involved in there. I'd have to look it up. I think I think Ms. Dr. Steinman does too. But his, his name has, like one of their chief gods is in their name. Nebu is the guy's name. Anyway, so Daniel, when he writes this, he mixes up his name even. It's just kind of like, your gods are false. I'll change your name just to prove it. Hmm. Yeah, so he's been burned. So the first um, question, the king had a dream. Perhaps he had problems with the wise men pulling the wool over his eyes on previous occasions, which I think is there. So he told them to do something no king or had ever told a wise man to do. <laughs> what was their reaction uh, from the wise men to such a request? And what does this tell us about their gods? So they actually, the dialogue, it seems a little repetitive, right? They asked three times. But well, the king asked them three times, second time and a third time, right? And it keeps getting more intense. And finally, in verse 11, there is no man, right? No man who can tell the king his dream except the gods, whose dwelling is not with any flesh. Yeah, yeah. this is a problem with dream interpretation, by the way. Sometimes the kids ask me to interpret their dreams. Oh, seriously, in school. at school, Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, sorry, not a gift I have. God hasn't given me that gift. Um, speaking of gifts, there's a, I was studying this earlier this week. There, there are many things that Christians are promised um, that I think we long for and we hope for um, in terms of our, our character and our, and our person, right? And St. Paul actually tells us what, what gifts the Spirit works in us. You remember the list from Galatians five? Mm-hmm. The fruits of the spirit, fruits. yeah, do you remember this? Fruits and
2: gifts, it's two different things, right?
0: Is it? I'm actually arguing no, it's no. not.
2: Don't you? You might not. Pastor Cypher like, kinda of confused it. I'm like, I
0: studied that. Right, well I'm gonna talk about specific gifts <laughs> and we'll say that we're gonna talk about the fruits in particular. So peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control. What else? Sorry, I'm trying to do this from memory. You didn't memorize the Bible? I know we laugh laugh about that, but actually, like St. Paul had the Old Testament memorized. That was an expectation for a Pharisee. What's that? Meekness. Yeah, like humility. I think that's the word, right? Is it Galatians 5? No, it's not Galatians 5. Where is it? Ephesians 5? See, there you go. I don't even know this citation. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Spiritual gifts, dun dun dun, 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 dun. Prophets and teachers. No, that's a different one. Huh. Hmm. Yes. Well, anyway, uh, let me ask you about some of those things that we that I actually remember, not the ones I can't remember. Oh, love is one of them, right? Yeah. Those characteristics, those spiritual gifts, um, they're not natural to us, not anymore, right? So peace, patience, kindness. Um, who actually bears those attributes, those characteristics? God does. Yeah, Jesus does, right? The manifestation God in the flesh, right? Um, so when we say they're spiritual gifts, they're actually the characteristics of God that are being, they're given to us so that we bear his image, right? So... When, like in Genesis, it says that we that man was made in the image of God. In the image of God, he made him, male and female, he made him. Which is also part of God's image is that for marriage is part of the image of God, which is another conversation entirely. But what does that mean? It means that Adam bore all of the attributes of God that could be that were communicated to mankind: peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control, love, generosity, humility. Where is it? It is Galatians five. Well, I said it was Galatians 5, and I didn't see it. Too many. Oh, I didn't go far enough. Okay. Got to turn the page. There they are. 23, it's 22 also. Yeah, 22 as well. Gentleness, self control, love, joy. Oh, I forgot about joy. Yeah. We think, uh, I, I think, you know, Daniel has this vision of God that God, God is the God of, of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self control. He's merciful, right? He's long-suffering. That's chesed in Hebrew. It's hard to say. You've got you to get the phlegm going in your throat. Actually, <laughs> those of you who have colds can probably get away with chesed. You can clear out your throat a little bit that way. Um, that's faithful, loving kindness of God. We don't have that, have that, but God imparts it to us. Actually, what he's doing in, in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is he's restoring what we lost because of sin. So that we're once again in the image of God fully, not just partially, right? And when we live, we live in God's image, He's our, we become his reflection again, which is pretty pretty brilliant. And so this is going to matter because Daniel, this the inter- ability to interpret dreams is, um, is an attribute of God. God's the one who gives the dreams. He gives that interpret- ability to interpret to Daniel. So it's something that only belongs to God, but then it's imparted to Daniel, right? Now, are there things that, are, that belong to God that aren't imparted to us? Are there, You remember all the attributes. You learned these in confirmation, right? We're
2: not
0: omnipotent. We're not omnipotent. That means we're all-powerful, right? No, we're not all-powerful. <laughs> never have been, never will be. Okay, good. That doesn't mean we don't have power, but not all-powerful, yeah. Omni- omnipresent. Omnipresent, omniscient. Okay, so omnipresent. We can't be many places at once. Right? No. And omniscient. We can't know everything. But we can know Maybe something. You. Yeah, especially children. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you, Mom, uh, not a wise move. <laughs> don't, tell, don't presume to know. Um, but interestingly enough, we'll see this. Daniel receives knowledge, and he receives wisdom. These are characteristics of God. God is the wise one. He's the knowledge. He's the one who knows all things. But God imparts, not, not fully, but he imparts part of that. Ability to Daniel, right? And, and obviously, in Jesus, we see the full communication of God's attributes, so that actually, Jesus in his resurrection now, he is omnipresent, even in his body and blood, which is incredible to think about. Um, he is all powerful, right? He is, what is all knowing? That was the other one, right? Yeah, he even knows how many hairs you have on your head <laughs> and the numbers of your days, even before you've lived them. I guess i figure out. <laughs> I know, I know. Even before, yeah. He died for you before you were born too, by the way. And he died, well, what's really incredible, who is it that, it's Colossians, I think, where Paul says that um, Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. So it was already in the mind of God to die for your sins before he even made anything? Uh, Try to get your head around that one. right, but Daniel's not given that kind of knowledge, but he is given very, You know, specific knowledge, again, for his blessing and the blessing of the nation, the people. Why did I bring up gifts? Oh, yes, because we receive gifts, too. So I wanted to make sure we emphasize that. So here, the interpretation of a dream. um, I think these wise guys got it right. The Chaldeans. Who alone can tell the king his dream except the gods, right? Those who are dwelling is not with any flesh. They got that part right, except they don't understand that God actually can impart, the one true God anyway, does impart his image upon his people so that they are, the psalmist actually calls the faithful gods. That doesn't mean that you're God, the one true God, but, but you do bear God's image. And so in that regard, you are different than even your friends and neighbors around you. Because God has imparted to you gifts that they don't have. <laughs> like, try to make peace with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. Seriously, just try. You could forgive them. If they'll receive that word, even, they probably won't. Um, so the things that we call peace are actually more like what? I can only think of the French word, detente, right? Um, stalemate, right? It's not, that's not really peace. That's, a, that's just agreeing not to fight for us sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, was there something else? Yeah, what about their gods? What about the the Chaldeans' gods? Are they are they powerful? Can they can they actually even do anything? There must have been something, right? Or why even bother? Right? Um but they, they don't think that their, their gods are going to impart upon them wisdom. Or at least they're not willing to stake their life on it.
2: It's like Elijah and the prophets of Baal.
0: Exactly like that, yeah. Yeah, you know the story with the prophets on the mountain? It's a beautiful story. I especially I love Elijah because he's so snarky. Uh, you know, I like that dark humor, that sarcasm. He does. He uses sarcasm with he's the prophets. Gone, maybe he's to the yeah, maybe he's out relieving himself or he's fallen asleep. Really? You're going to say that about somebody else's God? Elijah does. Yeah, and they even they even cut themselves trying to get Baal's attention. Um, are you going to get Baal's attention? No, because he's a dead God, right? It's just an idol. There's no life in him. All right. Any, anything else on that, that question? Yeah, I like study guides sometimes. Sometimes I don't, but... I think these questions are good. The response of the wise men to Nebuchadnezzar set up a showdown between the gods of Babylon and the true God. We talked about that in chapter one. The kind this kind of showdown <laughs> it's like a Western, right? Good, bad, and the ugly. I'm thinking, da-da-da, you know the, the whistling. All right. This kind of showdown repeats itself throughout the book of Daniel. When Daniel found out about the sentence, what did he do? Well, we haven't read that far yet. Oh man. Well, we should probably read. Um, yeah, why don't we read it? Uh, no, pick it up on 14 through 23. No, go back. Uh, my verse numbers might be different. We ended with... Chapter two. We're in chapter two. He sought for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Because obviously Daniel's another one of these guys. Yeah, he's a wise guy.
1: When Ariok,
0: after the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise
1: men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. <clears throat> this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah.
0: Notice Hebrew names.
1: Yeah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery Mm. so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made me known. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of
0: the king. Alright, very good. That prayer is brilliant, by the way. Uh, but we'll look at that in a minute. So the the back to the question, now that we've read it, what what did Daniel seek or when he when he found out, or what did he what did he do when he found out his life was in danger? It's not a hard question, I don't think. What? Talk to the king? No. No, he wasn't God. Yeah, he went to God. And specifically, what did he say in verse 18? Or what did, what did he write here? You're
1: going to plead for mercy from
0: the Yes. Heaven. Yes. Sought mercies from God of heaven concerning the mystery, this mystery. How am I supposed to answer this dream? Daniel doesn't know the answer. He doesn't know even know the dream at this point. Okay. That's kind of a gambit, isn't it? I'm going, to interpret your, I'm going to promise to interpret your dream, but I don't actually know it yet. Right? Yeah, that's pretty... But God knew it, because who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream? That's right. It's even interesting
1: that Daniel asked the guard, or the commander of
0: the king. Oh, yeah. Ariok?
1: He said, why did the king issue such a
0: harsh decree? Yeah. And what was the reason? It doesn't say. It Eric told him, but Daniel doesn't tell us, because it's not really relevant. <laughs> Whatever it was that ticked off Nebuchadnezzar in the past, and he's done with that. Um, Maybe he didn't
1: even know why the king
0: did it. Yeah, maybe. But mine says that he he made it known to Daniel. So the reason, I don't know what it is. And so Daniel then, then he entreats the king, that's right, Dan, to give him time. And and then he would tell the king his dream and its interpretation. Now the other guys had asked for time and they didn't get it, right? Right. Why does Daniel get time? He's not asking the king. No, he did. He did ask the king. He asked the king for time. The king's officer, he says. Yeah. Yeah. He asked for for time. uh, And and then he was given time to do that. So there's something about Daniel's character, maybe. I mean, we we have to hypothesize because it doesn't say. There's something about Daniel that even though he got lumped in with the magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, was there somebody else? Enchanters? (laughs) <laughs> right? He got lumped in with all of them. So they're, I'm trying to think of a, something equivalent. I mentioned Pharisee scribes and, and uh, Pharisee Sadducees and scribes, right? And we just, you could call them all the Jews, right? But that's a, that's a little bit nonspecific. It's, it's a broad. So broadly speaking, um, Nebuchadnezzar is just like, all those guys, I'm just going to lump them all together, the enchanters—that's different than a magician. I, enchanters are the snake charmers, right? They're the ones that can, with words, do things. Magicians, some kind of secret arts, some, often with words as well. Casting a spell, by the way, we still do that, and we even do that at school. Yeah, it's called spelling. You learn how to say words. Yeah, I know it's a joke. Um, what are we saying? Uh, spelling.
2: It says so. Daniel went in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's right there. You know, first he asks Arioch, what's the deal? Arioch tells him. And then he goes and actually just goes directly to the king, does not like hide or anything. He just goes right to the king and says, anytime. He's very honest. And the king will receive Daniel's word. But I think it's because, um, you know, Daniel's been a reasonable guy. As we saw in chapter one, he's like, rather than get all nitpicky and detail oriented, he just says, how about, here's a compromise. How about we just do this? I'll, we'll just not eat any meat. Either. We could, yeah, but we're just not going to get into that. Let's just make it easy for you guys for for the uh, what is it? What would it be? The king's chef, right? For the king's kitchen, just vegetables and water. That's fine. I I guess you can live on that. Can you? Some people do, don't they? We call them vegetarians. Yeah, I don't know what kind of life it is, but they live. I mean, bacon? No bacon? What? No bacon. No, no, no fruit. Well, I think they do. Vegans oh, eat fruit? fruit. They eat fruit. Of
2: course,
0: they eat fruit. Yeah, they eat fruit, but not no, no meat products. And a, and a true vegan, it's like no eggs, no butter, no cheese. It's like good night. Ah, what a boring life. What do you mean? Tofu, what, lots of beans and tofu and lentils. <laughs> no, fried
2: and
0: no fried chicken and baked potatoes. Oh, yeah, so. So have a little mer- have a little patience and long-suffering with people who, they might just be grumpy because they don't get to eat good food. I don't know. Anyway, another story. Uh, what were we talking about? The diet. So anyway, uh, Daniel somehow presented himself as a reasonable guy, and so the king's willing to work with him a little bit more than he was with these guys that he's really ticked off at. I think that's probably, um, seems obvious, so seems the reasonable explanation. Uh, but notice he doesn't he doesn't go to his own reason or strength to try to handle this situation. He recognizes it's far beyond his capacity to do this thing. Um, and he trusts in God to actually provide him with the means of escape, as Paul will say, you know, in referring to times of temptation, right? Because that this is a time of trial or of temptation. Daniel could easily, you know, forsake God and try to just hedge his bet and hope that he comes up with something really clever when Nebuchadnezzar tells the dream right but like i said that's a gambit i mean what's going to ha- what happens if you're wrong yeah yeah so he he goes right to god he sought mercies from god too i think that's helpful concerning the mystery that they wouldn't die with the rest of the wise men in babylon hmm question 3 the idols of the nations had stolen god's honor given it and given it to idols all right The idols of the nations had stolen God's honor and given it to idols. That's kind of circular, but there it is. For centuries, they had been worshiping the gods of the nations. The Lord was angry with those idols. In fact, everything he did to Judah in the years surrounding its captivity was designed for one purpose, which Ron pointed out, namely to make Israel know that he, the Lord, was the true God. And they were false gods. How does Daniel's prayer serve as a model prayer for the Israelites and for us? All right. So, um, how does he begin? Blesses God. God from in heaven, right? Yeah. With honor. What's that? With honor. With honor. Yeah. Does it say that? Yeah, no. He's honoring God. Oh, he honors God. Yeah. Saying, "May God's name be blessed from now on and forever." Right. Is it, like a it is kind of like a doxology, but I think it's more like the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Right? And remember what Luther reminds us there with the Lord's Prayer? God's name is certainly holy in itself, <laughs> but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy oh, among so. us also. Yeah, yeah. So why start with that? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or why start, we start our worship with, you know, O oh Lord, how, how we, we usually start with an invocation with like a divine service I'm thinking of like matins we start with with the psalm which goes I'm not I need to like almost have a hymnal and start singing or I can't remember how does it begin we usually start with a hymn too no with matins just the beginning of the service the the versicles at the beginning I know I'm getting there <laughs> oh lord open my lips right Notice, this is, this is really relevant now that I think about it, because this is what Daniel's at. He's, he's saying, who alone can open our lips? The Lord can, right? And my mouth will declare your praise. Where does, where does the praise of God come from? Does it come from you? Yes, but not directly, right? First, you're given faith or trust, right? And then you praise, declare his praise, right? In response to his gifts, what you've received. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Those are God's promises that he's going to open your lips and deliver you, right? And then, so we start by praying that. And that's what we're actually asking for, even in a prayer office like Matins, that God would give us mouths of praise and he would deliver us from our sins. It's a pretty pretty great way to start, even though it's not an invocation, right? All right. Um, But here, as Dan pointed out, may God's name be blessed from now on and forever.
1: The second says, <clears throat> and power are his. Right. And then the second last one says, you have given me wisdom
0: and power. Exactly. That's what I was trying to point out to you before. So, so Daniel says at the beginning, the, the things that he needs are God's. They're attributes of God. They're, 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 they belong to him, wisdom and understanding. And f- so, but first he says, you have them. He acknowledges that they are from God and then he asks God to deliver them to him, right? Yeah. And you can do this. I mean, a lot of times we talk about with prayer that your prayers can, the best way to pray, this is how I teach the children, the best way to pray is to pray for the things that God has promised you, right? So what has he promised you? And then pray for that, right? I mean, you could pray for a pony. That's perfectly okay. (laughs) But do you have a word from God that says he's going to give you a pony? I learned here, I, when I was in suburban Indiana, that prayer made sense because every kid wanted a pony and nobody had one. I do that here and the kids are like, I already have a pony. Like, <laughs> 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 so I have to come up with something else. You know, The boys want sports cars, the girls want I don't know what. Yeah. Well, that brings up a question a little boy, no. Mm. a the little boy made to me on Sunday... Right
2: after Sunday
1: school, when we're scrambling to get upstairs, everything cleaned up, get upstairs. He goes, I pray a lot, but God never answers my prayers. Mm-hmm. Oh. hmm And I was like, you can't say that. God loves
2: to hear your prayers. Uh-uh. He never
0: answers. Wow. Did you ask, that would be the next question. What have you prayed for?
2: I didn't have time to I know. do that because everybody's shh.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I know it's terrible. It's terrible. It's, it's heart-wrenching. Terrible. But, but it's also beautiful because that... He's right, at, he's right at the conflict between faith and experience. I didn't know what to
2: say. You know, I was like, of course he hears your prayers. I know he does.
0: Yeah. That's a lot like saying you're going to get over grief. Right. I was like, we need to have a talk. Yeah, you do. But if God doesn't answer his prayers, it's not time to. God has answered if his God prayers. Yes, that, that's not false. That's true. But in what way, and in what and what, yeah, time schedule, right? <laughs> because right. in 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 God's word, He has an infinite time scale, <laughs> which drives us batty because we want everything and we want it now. To quote, uh, was it Veruca Salt from?
2: Well, exactly, children.
0: So yeah. They also oh, especially children. To
2: parents whether the teachers? Yes or no. You know, well. This, can I have
0: that? Fair but, enough. But you know, waiting for God to answer His prayer, I didn't get a chance to ask Him what He was praying for. Yeah. Me. Pray for a BB gun and uh-huh. you expect it to be at the door. Right. <laughs> he's like a divine vending machine. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just to ask and you'll receive. But Jesus says that, right? Ask and you'll receive. Knock, mm-hmm. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But notice what he also says. Whatever you ask in my name. In my name, right? Which means that the things that you're to ask for in prayer, if you, if you expect an answer, are the things he's promised to give. Right? And um, so I think that's really helpful kind of as a diagnostic is to say, well, what have you prayed for? Have you thought about praying for this instead? Or even as simple as as, thy will be done, which, because I think the presumption, probably with the child, if I had to guess, probably the presumption is is that they get to tell God what they want rather than God gets to reveal to them what is good for them, right? So our prayers are designed especially the prayer he gave us. I mentioned the Lord's Prayer. It's designed so that our wants and our desires, our heart, our passions, are brought into conformity with what he's promised to give us <laughs> so that we ask for things that, he, that he's promised to do, like deliver us from evil, to forgive us our sins, you know, that his name be kept holy among us, um, that his kingdom come among us to... I forgot a petition. I didn't do it in order, so I threw it all off. And the kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgot about that one. Well, what's included in daily bread is an important diagnostic question that Luther reminds us: everything that we need for our body and life. That's not necessarily. This may be helpful. Do the old parent thing: what you need and what you want are two different things, right? Yeah. You don't really need to be You're not
1: giving.
0: Yeah, and that might be a harsh word to say, um, but it's true. Right or if it's true, right? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I do this with my children. It probably, it probably terror, terrorized them now, but like if they keep asking for something, they absolutely don't get it, right? And we delay, we delay, we delay because of their persistence. We delay. It's like you time, you've, done you've done it. <laughs> God's not like that, though. I mean, that's that's important. Again, important point to make. He actually doesn't. Persistent prayer is actually a a godly characteristic, right? Think about the friend at midnight. You know that story from Luke? You know, where where he answers the door and he gives him the bread for his friends, not because of his persistence, but because of his impudence, I think is what it says. But your heavenly father's not like that at all, then is Jesus' point, right? Just because he's annoying. So when I I told that story to the kids, I'm like, look, your friend comes and you knock him in the middle of the night, you're going to give him bread? They're like, oh yeah, sure we would. I said, no you're not. Not if the kids are screaming, the dog is barking, and, and, you know, and you've got to go to work in the morning. You're going to be annoyed. And, and, you're, and you will give him the bread just to get him, go away, shut off the lights, put everybody back to bed, and try to get a couple hours of sleep. Right. Right. Where, but Jesus says that's the lesser example, the greater example. you know, This is in the context of the scorpion and the egg in that part too. It's just to say... Um, your heavenly Father, you can be bold and impudent, is the word in the old translation. You can you can be persistent and actually kind of terrible children, and he's and he's going to suffer that in a way that we we can't. <laughs> we get we just like enough's enough already. Shut up. Yeah, Ron. I was just thinking in response to
1: the is after you asked, what did you ask for? Yeah. Next question is why?
0: Yeah, that's good too. Yeah, motive. Yeah, what's in their heart, you know? Sometimes we just be quiet and be afraid, because it's yes, no, or wait, maybe. Right, and maybe there's a good example would come from um, Moses. Did I tell you this story? It's a really incredible scene. So in the Exodus, they're, 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 they're already out of Egypt, they're on their way to the Red Sea, but Pharaoh's hot on their heels, right? i mentioned this in a sermon, probably a week ago Wednesday, I don't remember, the weeks and months, and days blur, especially last week, right, because Wednesday, Thursday, then I was out of town from Friday through Sunday and just got back and had to hit the ground running again, Um, that the cloud and the angel went behind the people and went between the people and Pharaoh so that Pharaoh couldn't reach them until they had passed safely through the Red Sea. All right, so God blinded Pharaoh, basically, through the cloud. Uh, you know, it was, thick, it was like fog, right? Thick fog. And the angels barring their, uh, keeping them from, from uh, approaching Israel. But what Moses said is really incredible, I think. He says, basically, um, to quote the psalm, be still and know that I am God. He actually tells them, just stop talking, <laughs> to, to your point. Just stop talking, do what he says, He's delivering you. And actually, you don't have to do anything apart from just keep going, right? It's pretty incredible. Don't say anything? No. You don't have to pick up your weapons. Not that they would have been any good against pharaohs, chariots, and horsemen, but, um, you know, just, just be quiet and watch, and you'll see what the Lord has for you. And I think that that also can be a helpful direction, especially when people are terrorized by indecision or... Um, that seeming not having prayer answered, is just wait and watch. God's heard your prayers, and see what He has for you. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's helpful. That's help. I mean, it's in the context of this prayer because because Daniel could have been like that, you know, but he doesn't. And he also, but I really wanted to point this out. What Ryan pointed out is that he bases his prayer on God's God's own character and His own possession, right? And. It, on that basis, he knows that God can actually give him what he needs the wisdom, discernment, insight that he needs, because God has those. Right? Yeah, Ron.
1: What happened writing back in chapter one, mm-hmm. verse seventeen, where it says to these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. Mm-hmm. So they knew that God was able to uh,
0: Right, yeah, we had that established back in chapter 1, that's right. It doesn't say specifically what kind of wisdom or knowledge, right? No. And like uh, what Ron's pointing out, like in verse 20, in every saying of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the enchanters and wise men in his kingdom. So it's not just like they're a little bit smarter, or a little bit more knowledgeable. No, it's incredible. It's ten times the wisdom and knowledge which, um, that's the first mention of, well, no, it's the first, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim and then the first year of Nebuchadnezzar and then you have 10. Um, when we, especially when we get to chapter 7 to 12, numbers become hugely important. Daniel's big on numerology. And the ancient world was too and that was part of this wisdom and knowledge was being able to interpret like the, the, the stars and the planets and their motion. It was, it was able to see the significance of numbers Right in, in activity, in, in things. I think we've, we don't ask for it, and then we also, I don't know what we'd do with it if we had it, to say, well, to look for patterns and numbers like in things today around us. There's a very famous one. It's going to seem as a tangent, um, but I think it's beautiful. Do you know, anybody know what the Fibonacci sequence is? Okay, Ron's heard of it. Ron's well-read, I guess, so he's heard a lot of things. Fibonacci sequence. Everybody write it down? All right. You can look it up. Fibonacci. Just look him up. All right. He was an Italian guy. Can everybody see that? If you can, just stand up. And he looked... He was a Greek... Well, he was an Italian name, so he must be Italian. But he, he, he actually came up with a mathematical formula to describe what the Greeks had already observed in nature. It was that there was a repeated sequence of numbers in nature that you could see in ferns, you could see in conch shells, you could see in, what else, has that spiral pattern. I'm trying to think of another example.
1: Maybe in the stars.
0: In the stars, yeah, oh, right, in the the galaxies. Right, and it looks like this. So this number is one, right, and then, then you add two more blocks, and it's one and one, so that's actually two, right? One plus two, I'm gonna I should Google this so I don't have to do it from memory. <laughs> but you keep doubling. So then you have to add four. Oh, I don't know how to do this visually. I can't remember how the blocks go. But basically it does this. Right? Yeah. That pattern that you've seen as you keep doubling and the, the, the sequence, it's incredible. Once once they've found found that number sequence, started to see it throughout all of creation. Well to us that's perfectly, um, that makes perfect sense that God would put, put a repeated sequence throughout various aspects of creation. I mean, what a great confession of at least some kind of deity actually being commonly involved in the creation of very, dis, you know, very different parts of creation, a fern and a conch shell, right? Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. I think you see it all over the place, yeah. Yeah, that sequence of the... Du- well, it happens when you're when you're born. You're a single cell and then you du- duplicate and then those cells split. Have you ever seen the development of human life, right? Yeah, and it does that. It's, it's one and then two and then four and then... Yeah, yeah. So I, it probably follows that sequence. I don't know if it does. Probably something close. And so in the ancient world, they had no problem seeing those kind of patterns and numbers and, you know. And now... Well, it's possible what's happening is because the world is is actually been consigned to decay and destruction that those numbers are breaking down as part of the deconstruction of the world until until the last day when it's finally uh, destroyed. So maybe that's the effect of sin as it breaks down some of these repeated patterns. So yeah, look that up, you can google it and you'll find if you if you do, you like YouTube, you'll find all sorts of weird things because There's like a famous rock band that I happen to like that um, wrote a whole song based on the sequence, and they so the the beat goes one beat, two beat, three beat, five beat, seven beat, thirteen beats, and they keep cycling through these numbers, and it's it's a and so then there's lots of people who try to actually cover it because it's a really hard song to play, yeah, because of the way that sequence goes. Um, Anyway, what were you pointing about? Yeah, knowledge and wisdom. So this isn't like the ancient. This isn't like any of the other guys who just. You know, they can observe patterns like this. This is actual true wisdom or insight to see with not just into things that can be observed by eyes and reason and sense, like the Fibonacci sequence, but actually to see inside the mysteries of this world and to understand, like, the meaning of life, for example, is a common question, right? What is the meaning of life? And we know, actually, God has revealed to us the meaning of our life. And what is it? Ultimately, for everybody, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's it. To be rejoined rejoin- be to God forever in eternity. That's, that's the purpose for your life. That's what, Everything is working out f- for that purpose. As far as the actual day-to-day, what it looks like, it's, it's obviously unique and different for each one of us. What skills and talents and what neighbors God puts in our, in our path and how he works out that salvation in our life. It's, it does vary from individual to individual. But the goal and purpose is the same. It's common that we'd all be joined to Jesus forever and eternity. All right? So we can actually see that. That's a wisdom that's been given to us um, that's not available elsewhere. Or at least if it is, it's kind of distorted, right? No, you know, we all die and we go to a better place. Whatever that is. That was a kind of a sarcastic joke. Um, what else was in there? He changes times and seasons, right? We talked about that. Here's that great confession from Daniel. He appoints kings and removes them. Not just godly ones or false gods, you know, pagan ones, all of them. All right? Why, Luther reminds us, why, why do we have earthly authorities? To, it's right in the table of duties, right? Why do you obey the Caesar or the king? Or in our case, the <coughs> governing authority, president, local legislator, Why? In order. God has put them in place to punish evil, right, and encourage order. That's right. That's right. Um, can you imagine what kind of decay this world would fall into if we actually were all anarchists, like our own heart wants us to be? <laughs> like I can do whatever pleases me. Can you imagine what this world would be like? It'd be hell, is what it would be, right? Without God's providence, without His protection and care, yeah. We just—I don't think we'd make it very long. I yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, he gives wisdom to the wise, and insight to those who have skill. That's what mine says anyway. By the way, I'm using an English translation of the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, which is um, for the for the half of the Christian Church. Um, that's definitive, not the Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament. Sometimes it's a little bit different. Yeah, wrong. Daniel
1: would have known the Hebrew scriptures. I'm sure. Yep. So, he would have known that Joseph
0: hmm. gave him the wisdom to Yeah, I mean, Daniel's in a really unique spot because not only does he know the Hebrew text, which was, was they, they, like I said, you couldn't afford a, a copy of the Old Testament. So, they memorized it by heart, just like uh, Muslim men, to, even today, memorize the Quran. That's part of being a Muslim, is you memorize the Quran in Arabic, even if you're an English speaker and we say, oh, that's not possible, it's too many pages, too many words, then how do they do it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think our brains are more capable of, than what we give the, God's credit for, actually. <laughs> uh, but regardless, they memorize the Old Testament, so he knows that by heart. And, now, and But he can read Akkadian, he knows Aramaic, he can, he can do this, he can interpret the false religions of, of, of the Babylonians in contrast to the, to the faith of, of God, the true faith of God. Right? so he can see where things are co- in common and then he can show where there's contrast where there's distinction right I have a uh, he was a professor of mine for a couple of years and he's he's no longer teaching he's well he teaches but he does online courses and uh, lectures and that kind of thing uh, his name's Adam Francisco anybody know that name Adam Francisco okay uh, he was in the u s military he learned Arabic in the u s military and ended up being a um, he basically I think he's on like permanent retainer for for the for the Pentagon um, to do like um, U.S. Muslim relationship stuff because he knows the Quran. He learned the Quran. He learned Arabic. He got a doctorate from Oxford in 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 Muslim studies. So, um, but he's a Lutheran. He was a Lutheran professor, right? Of, of never ordained, um, but a theology professor. So he uh, he can talk about Arab, you know, the 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 Muslim uh, faith, definitive well with expert knowledge. But, but then that puts him in a great position, being also a faithful Christian, to show what do we have in common, right? But then where the real differences? Right? And that ends up making him a much more charitable um, person to talk to a Muslim, you know, because he actually understands what they believe, or he at least knows the words. Uh, maybe they can help him understand. Uh, so actually Daniel can do that, and maybe that's why the king trusts him because he knows their scriptures and he knows his scriptures. And, um, and he also does, Daniel doesn't seem to be that overbearing. You know, he's, he's, he's gentle, he's kind, he's patient, even though the king's threatened his life. <laughs> Go figure. Um, you know, whatever, God has him in his hand. What else does he say? He reveals deep and hidden things, right? He knows what is in darkness and the light is with him. Why does he know what's in darkness? Yes. Well, and he knows all things, right? That characteristic too. I give thanks and praise to you, O God of my fathers, for you have given me wisdom and power, right? Now remember, this is a prayer and Thanksgiving to the the vision, right? The the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision during the night, right? So he acknowledges the one who gives the the insight and he gives him thanks and praise for what he's received. Had Daniel actually called out in prayer already? Yeah, he did, didn't he? He sought the mysteries concerning the God of heaven. So first they prayed. God gave them an answer to the prayer very directly here. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, I know. Um, but again, his, their prayers were on the basis of what they knew of God, all right, of his character. And then having received, um, he didn't leave without thanking God for what he had received, which is, that is the model of our prayers, isn't it? Even for like a meal, and we always forget the Thanksgiving at the end. And I, I actually kind of feel terrible about it, <laughs> now that I say that, you know? And it's like, you know how it is with the family. One's done, like, in three minutes, because they, <laughs> and then they're up and they're gone. And you're like, can you just wait at the table? No, and, you know. the At the beginning. Yeah, Let's what was that? What was Grandma's prayer?
2: Ours was open things, mm-hmm. and his was. What was
0: it about? Oh, nice. He would know, yeah. He would know. Yeah, do you know where that comes from? Yeah, I don't know. Say it louder.
1: Yeah,
0: I like it, though. Because it recognizes that food is a sign of actually God's providence of everything, right? That you have. Yeah. I think
1: in the fourth verse, where actually we not to go to praying. In Daniel 3 he asked his friends to pray also. Right, it what
0: we ask of him. Yeah. Yeah, we. It says in verse, he
1: asked, what is it? In return, we'll from, right. he urged them for mercy from the right.
0: Yeah, and they sought it together, right? Well, their lives were in danger, too. That's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's also, also this other important aspect, I think, because we talk about, like, the power of prayer. You've heard that, right? And then generally when, when things are pretty desperate, you want as many people praying for you as possible. Do you actually need? <laughs> Does God hear your prayers? Is He promised to answer, your prayer. Yes. Why would you have others pray with you? Right? Yeah, right? So that it, it does. Uh, what does Luther call that? Mutual conversation and consolation, it right? To support one another. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, there is, there is a strength or a comfort that comes knowing that, that the church prays with you or your friends pray with you. There's that. Um, you don't, it, it's not necessary in terms of God answering the prayer, but it is necessary in terms of our faith, I think, you know, to to encourage one another that way. Um, We confess our faith together, we sing together, and we pray together, and we pray for one another. Yeah, because we're all in this together. Um, So that's part of it. Um, But also, the thing that we don't often recognize is that our friends are maybe not to the same degree, but they're also grieving, like, for example, in the same way. Right? Or even the pastor is grieving in his own way. Maybe not not the same severity or in the same character, but but it's still there, and they need the, they, they they need to offer that up to God as much as you do, right? So encouraging other people to pray and have them share in your in your in your grief, then for example, just it's an easy example. You're right here, yeah. Um, not only does it benefit you, but it benefits them. It's right. such a blessing. I it think is. People
2: say they're praying for me. I'm just so
0: grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a confession of faith too that they trust in God. Which encourages you as well. Yeah. What you call being one in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit. That's the way of the prayer chain. That is the way of the prayer chain. It's not a gossip chain, it's a prayer chain. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's there for the purpose that that we pray for one another, which is beautiful. It's
2: wonderful. And what Brad has been going through, mm-hmm. um, I think it was a sister Charlotte put on Facebook. We have millions of people praying for didn't you didn't see it but did you read you that did somebody repeat it just like charlotte said well other people know other people and right and right a lot i mean it's yeah it's more than average <laughs> oh right yeah a couple ladies a couple to
0: post grab let up how do they baseball maybe they Oh, yeah, too. or somehow they were linked to the website what's the website name where they where you put your carrying bridge oh yeah yeah that could be
2: too
0: right and you had done a fundraiser at some point had you after the first uh huh back
2: 22 years ago right
0: yeah so think about all the network that was built there right and that's and like I said the, do you need you have one intercessor before the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one right you, you'll always have the, the, the Son and the Spirit by the way both interceding to, before the Father on your behalf in everything that you need even the things you don't even know you need right which is encouraging in its own way right but then to have that, that also that horizontal that prayer for one another um, towards God it, it does it is encouraging and it, and it um, I, mean, I think God gives it to us to strengthen one another in our prayers for the sake of faith that we believe that we trust yeah there were some questions at the bottom but we didn't get to them that's okay um yeah no that's fine so daniel praise god france Mention a time when god prayed when, when you praise god france you want to your prayers or less reasons why we have a good reason to praise god okay we talk more about what happens when he doesn't answer which is interesting mm-hmm. and then who won the showdown well that was pretty easy yeah, um, but we'll look at the actual, uh, the actual dream and its interpretation. By the way, just before we do that for next week, notice that God reveals the dream and its interpretation to Daniel here. Yeah, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision during the night. Nebuchadnezzar hasn't told him even his dream yet. And God has already revealed to him both the dream and its interpretation. So so we'll see that next time. I don't know how much we'll get done in chapter two. Um, Probably at least through oh, maybe we can do the whole thing. There's so much backstory in that one. Yeah? It's not a race. It isn't a race, no. But I did say when we started that um rather than be like we're doing on Sundays with Gospel of John, where we we've been um like twelve months in and we're in chapter we're gonna be in chapter eleven yet. Yeah, this week. So we're taking our time, which is fine. It's beautiful. Um but there's a there's a case for actually not doing everything every time and, you know, just kind of opening up a little bit. So let's close with a prayer and blessing. Heavenly Father, you have revealed to us um, your saving grace for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is all wisdom and understanding, especially of our salvation. We ask that you would cast from us the darkness of our hearts um, by the light of your saving grace in Jesus And that in all things that we receive, uh, both sickness and health, uh, sorrow and joy, we know that all things are working um, for our good as those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Uh, We thank and praise you for all these many blessings in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center